Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline from ESPN.com. Stephen Holder joins us. Hello, Stephen. How you doing? Did I hit the wrong button there? I think you did. No, oh, did I really? Oops. <laughs> I only did it three times right there. Here's a fourth. Hello, Stephen. How are you doing? Hey, uh, do we have? Are you mad at me? No, no. <laughs> Num nuts here. Hit, Num nuts here. Hit the wrong button. And Num nuts is me. So yeah, hey, I don't want to go. We we all have our moments. <laughs> we do. All right. I don't want to make a great deal out of this, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's the last thing that that they need. But they do do this crap to themselves. And I'm talking about the Colts. All right, I want to see Anthony Richardson a series, right? Maybe a couple of plays here or there. Throw it to his roommate a couple of different times at camp, whatever, and and then take him out. Uh, You know, give the crowd an opportunity to see what they really, Colts-wise, came to see. All right, so if you decide against doing that, at the very least, can you let everybody know? Because you can't tell me, oh, yeah, we're not going to go ahead and play him tonight. They, They knew that well before they started that game. And at least tell the crowd so it doesn't look like you're trying to to make it look like you're trying to get everybody in their seats before you make that announcement is that too much to ask yeah it would have been nice and i think you can look to the chicago bears our old friend matt eberflus who on i believe thursday, thursday correct yeah told i you know i was there with at the joint practice told the media assembled that his starters wouldn't be playing. I mean, it wasn't a big surprise, right? No, I mean, they it wasn't. got after it this yeah. week. They really got after it. And and I think that's what you want in the joint practice. And this has been going on for a few for a few years now. You know, when you have these joint practices, coaches tend to pull back in the the actual ensuing game. So that's typical. No one's gonna be surprised by that. This was weird though in in that first of all on Thursday, I wasn't aware we were not going to to, to get Shane Steichen. Right. I wasn't aware he wasn't going to be available. So that was odd because it was on the schedule. On the previous schedule we'd been given, he was he was supposed to be available to speak. So that's why when he didn't answer the question on Wednesday, you know, the assumption was, all right, fine. He'll tell us tomorrow. <laughs> you know? And that did not happen. So that was odd. And then... Uh, particularly, by the way, particularly when he, I believe, had told us going into the Buffalo game that Anthony Richardson would be starting that game. We were told that in advance. So it seemed reasonable and plausible that we would get a similar uh, heads up one way or the other going into to game two, right? Yeah, see, you're making it sound even worse for him right now <laughs> because of the whole <laughs> Thursday. Worse, that, so I mean, I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> it, it actually gets worse. Yeah. And so then <laughs> – so I don't listen. I don't know what to make of this. I am not telling you what it means. I'm just telling you what happened here. And then on Saturday, I, look, a few of us at ESPN were curious about it because you know we want to kind of line up what's what's the news for the day and all that. And I was being asked, "Hey, is is Richardson going to play?" And I said, "You know, I don't know. Let me let me see if I can find out." And I asked around. And you would have thought that I was asking for Jim Ursay's bank account number. Right. Okay. Right. I don't know. It was weird, man. 
it was weird. I finally got what I thought was a, a confirmation that he wasn't playing, but I still wasn't a hundred percent sure. It was very strange. I'll just leave it at that. And just and, and there's there's no reason to do that. I mean, unless you just want to make sure you get as many bodies in the stadium in your lone home preseason game, which, you know, a lot of the folks are already in there because they have season tickets and you have to buy that or at least part of the package is that game. And, you know, oftentimes I think it's cool because you get people in that building that don't often get the opportunity over the course of the season to go to games. And, you know, even if it wasn't purposely done, you you know, you can paint the portrait because so many people in the past five or plus years are negative about that, paint the portrait of something going on behind the scenes that's kind of anti-fan and you don't want that you don't need that and you kind of do it to yourself i think in that circumstance if you just don't be honest and say again with no reason not to hey the dude's not gonna play yeah i you know i can't speak to motivations but i will tell you and and by the way let me let me back up i can't speak to motivations and i also don't think that there's like a huge issue in the decision right i i don't know if i would have done the same thing but i also i'm not up in arms about it like i'm not angry about it i right I mean, and, and, and no i'm it. not angry about but, it but i have no, to no, bring no, it not, yeah i have to bring I mean, it up here yeah no 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 I'm, I'm this is just a preface to what i'm about to say okay so but then when you make that point that that people in the stands wanted to see him i get that right so i was I, you know i was a a kid from a working class family, and I've probably told this story before. I don't know. I've been doing these shows with you a long time, right? But but the point is, <laughs> just for the sake of being redundant, you know, I was a working class kid growing up. We didn't have season tickets, you know, to, to the NFL games. And my dad's company, because I presume the bosses didn't give a damn, they gave away the preseason tickets, you know, to the to the worker bees. So my dad would get preseason tickets for the Dolphins and we'd go and I would, man, I, we would stay there till the last damn snap. Okay. It was a big deal. You know, I was the only time yeah. I saw the inside of that stadium, man. Right, and right. you know, so it, I relate to that. I relate to people wanting to, to make that an experience. And, and I'm not saying you should make a decision based on that, but I also think that's where the sensitivity should come in and, and giving people a heads up. So I get it. Totally get it. Yeah, you don't even want to come close to sparking a debate. You just, you just don't, and yeah. that's why I just kind of wonder at times you, why you don't. I give you a great example. This is my example earlier, Stephen. It is the way I utilize social media or X or Twitter, whatever it is. Before I send out stuff, I often read it to myself five or six different times to see how many different ways that anybody out there can interpret it. And I think oftentimes, decision-making-wise, in this world, especially when you're trying to work your way back up from a negative spot in which you have lived in for a number of years around here, that you, you kind of got to do that as well. I mean, you have to be have to make this as foolproof as possible to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if if you don't, then, you know, you, you leave got knuckleheads like me talking about it right now. Yeah. That's what yeah. happens, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's just how it works. So, you know, in the grand scheme, I think the Colts, probably correctly know that that these things will blow over and, and won't be an issue. So I don't I don't think they're worried about it in the grand scheme. But you know, look, I, I do think there's something to be said for avoiding headaches. I get it. Yeah, there's nobody you are talking to the avoiding headaches king right here. I'm always I'm always looking out for the most hassle free path 
taken right there. Yep. So I can yep. I can help them out if they need it. All right, on the field wise, I'll get to Jonathan <laughs> Taylor making that trip to Philly in a second. But on the field wise, and then in the booth wise, what stood out on the field? There really wasn't a lot to me that I learned as far as what I didn't already know. Did anything stick out in that game Saturday night to you? Actual playing on the field? No, not not especially, except that you know they're. Their offensive line depth is still bad, <laughs> so that is that is going to be an issue. And I would be frankly stunned if if they aren't uh, in the market for for some waiver claims. You know, when the final cuts come, I, I think that's next Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, a week from tomorrow, I believe that's correct. So I would be very surprised if you know the following day, Wednesday, Thursday of next week if they aren't making a, a waiver claim or two uh, on the offensive line, because I, I just, they're depth right now. I think they're, they're starting offensive line. I can live with it. And I think if, if guys like Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly, if they, if they kind of bow their necks and, and kind of, you know, get, get themselves together, this, this could be a good line. But, um, but I don't, you know, if anybody gets hurt, I don't like their chances of, of holding up. And, and I just think with a rookie quarterback, you've already got so much to worry about. Uh, you know, he's got so much on his plate as it is. I don't want him burdened. You don't want Anthony Richardson burdened with, you know, an offensive line that, that's breaking down. So, you know, look, it's inevitable that guys are going to get hurt. Five guys staying healthy for 17 games is, is almost impossible to expect. It's happened a time or two, including here. But it doesn't typically happen. It's uh, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com of the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. They added a, a couple, at least depth for camp and training camp preseason, whatever, wide receivers end of last week with yeah. James Washington and DJ Montgomery. I know a great deal about James Washington. He, he got an opportunity to stick on this team once the regular season begins. And has there been anybody outside of the usual suspects here that you think has stood out as far as this process is concerned at that position? You know, it's kind of interesting, man. He comes in, and two days, or I think a day or two later, he's out there, and he, he makes a couple plays. And talking about Washington here. And I don't think it's out of the question that he could stick. I mean, He's been I counted on that. before. He's been counted yeah. on before in offenses. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, he has a body of work that these other guys just don't have. <laughs> so that has to count for something. And then the reality is, you know, look, we I was talking about this with, with Query earlier. Look, when Aston Doolin went down, I know we kind of shrugged and said, eh, you know, whatever. But it, it wasn't that losing Aston Doolin was such a hit to the offense. What it is is that it was a hit to their depth. So now a couple things. You know, Aston Doolin is the perfect, like, fifth receiver <laughs> because if he, he, he plays all the special teams and he, he's, he's always available to you in the kicking game, which is exactly what you want. And then if he has to play, if someone gets hurt and he has to go in there and, and back up Alec Pierce or somebody, you're totally fine with that because he's played important snaps. So you get the, the best of both worlds in a guy like that. Now what they have is they have to figure out who fits. And, you know, like Michael Strong, for example, you know, I think we, for two years we've all been wanting to embrace him and he could be a really good story, but his, his, there's two things holding him back. He, he does not play any special teams, that, and, and I don't know that that's going to change a lot this year. So that has not been a strength of his. And then 
honestly, a lot of the plays he's made in camp, and he makes a lot of plays in camp. If you come to Westfield and watch, people who come have seen him make plays that are pretty impressive. It has not carried over to the regular season when he has got opportunities. So that's a knock on him. And then you've got, you know, guys after that, it's kind of like, eh, you know, it's put them in a bowl and, and shake it up, you know? So put them in a hat and, and shake it up. That's kind of where we are. So that's why a guy like James Washington, you just, you can't rule it out. It could happen. He, he could find a way onto the roster. Hey, Steven, is Mo Ali Cox in pretty big danger of not making this team? I don't know how to feel about Mo Ali Cox right now. I, all right, I'll, I'll, do, I'll say this in a sensitive way. I think Moali Cox is a good player, and we keep one. We keep wanting to to discover whether he's more than that. And the truth is, I think we've seen his best. Maybe he has. Maybe we've seen his ceiling, and and so that would be fine if the Colts had not done a, what I think is a, a pretty decent job of of stocking that tight end room with some talent, some young unproven talent. I get that. But it's talent nonetheless. Now, what their problem right now is injuries. Everybody's on the sideline, you know, licking wounds right now. If they get those guys healthy, I, I would love to see that room at full strength because that, I think, is the, the deepest position they've got maybe outside of a couple others. Maybe, maybe overall the deepest. So it definitely has the most potential, I think, of any room or any unit on that Colts roster. So I'm really interested to see if they can – if they can match their, their ceilings or reach their ceilings and, and expectations because, and so anyway, to your, to your question about Moali Cox, I, I do think that, you know, I don't know if, I don't know what they're going to do, but, but it's at least a plausible conversation, you know, as to what his future is. And, and so, you know, you gotta be more, you gotta have, more to offer than to just, just to say, oh, I'm, you know, he's the veteran guy who's experienced. Okay, that's great, but, I mean, that, that's not enough in and of itself, you know. So we'll see what happens. Look, these young guys like, you know, uh, Jelani Woods of the world, I mean, it's their time. It, it really is. And, and they're with a quarterback, you know, who is going to make defenses have to make some decisions. I think there's going to be some favorable matchups for those guys. It just seems like he's kind of, especially when you get dinged up like that too, um, you kind yeah. of put yourself in a spot to where, you know, you can you go ahead and you know, cut and, you know, somebody's going to get paid more than, than everybody else around you right here and, and pretty much get in the type of season that you know you're going to get as far as the yeah. uh, tight end position is concerned. It just It seems like that he is in a dangerous territory to me right now. No, I don't think you're reaching at all. I think that I think that unit, we already talked about it being really competitive. So if that's true, then what you're saying is very defensible. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. we, we've said it from the beginning. That, was, that tight end room is going to be very competitive. The only reason we haven't talked more about it is because a lot of guys have been hurt. But I think had that room been at full strength, you'd be hearing very frequent conversations about who is and isn't you know, rising or falling in that unit because, you know, it, it's kind of dog-eat-dog in there, man. And, and that's a good thing, though. It's a good thing. I think that position, it, it had a little bit of a lull there. You know, we had Jack Doyle kind of call it a career, and, and I think that, that unit hasn't really been a strength for this team for a little bit, but, but it could be this year.
So Stephen Holder of ESPN.com talking Colts via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So Jim Irsay, third quarter of the broadcast on Saturday goes on, and people had asked me what I gathered from that that answer when asked about Jonathan Taylor's situation. And I thought that it was the best that Jim was prepped by some others. I don't know if it was Pete or whomever it was about how not to add fuel to the fire. And basically it was a long winded answer of things with the conclusion that all of us already knew. That's what I gathered from that. What did you? Yeah, I, I really did not interpret that answer as, as moving the ball at all. I, I don't think it moved the needle one way or the other on Jonathan Taylor. So I, I kind of agree with you. I think when, when he talked about, you know, we're happy to have Jonathan Taylor back and, you know, it's a big year and all that, all of that was just, you know, hey, this is what I want to happen. <laughs> this is what I want and hope will happen this year. That's what I read. I mean, that, that's, that was my read of Jim Marseille's comments. And so – how do we know that? We know that because at the very end, in summarizing his his comments, what did he say? He said, "You know, you hope that that you don't have any of these problems, but but they do happen, and hopefully, Chris Ballard, as we move forward, can help calm the waters." I'm kind of paraphrasing and kind of direct quoting. <laughs> but when you say calm the waters, yeah, water, water, he created that. There's <laughs> a biblical story here somewhere. Yeah. I think I don't know. <laughs> right? it, uh, anyway, that's a whole other thing. Anyway, so the point is, if you're if you're needing to calm the waters, that means by definition, the waters are rough. It's not resolved, man. <laughs> so that's an admission that it's not, it, it isn't, you know, wrapped up and, and this thing is not, um, uh, you know, hasn't reached its conclusion, I guess. So I would assume with the calm the waters that that is a pro wanting him to be a part of this team. And for Chris Ballard yeah. to calm the waters, you would probably have to try to massage this situation in the moment with maybe an extra dollar or two, right? Is, is that what he was saying with that well, at all? In the well, moment, in the moment. Fair, fair question. I, I think the argument against that conclusion is when Jim Irsay said, you know, timing is everything. That was a very – I thought that was a very important part of his comments too because, to me, that is the, uh, a, a continuation of his previous stance, which has been – you know, when the time comes, the, the contract will come. But the, but the conclusion before was that this is not that time. So if we're still saying that, and if that's still the position, then I, I can only presume that, that this is still their stance when you talk about timing is everything. Um, as of a couple of weeks ago, now is not the time. So that comment to me suggests that hasn't changed. But, but I do agree that that's one way to resolve it. But you know, the other thing you said or asked me is, you know, d- does it mean or does it indicate to me that, you know, this is going to be or that, that they want Jonathan Taylor here and, and that is going to move forward. I, I do think that's where this is heading just because time is of the essence. Now, um, Jonathan Taylor's got to get out there at some point pretty soon. He's got to get out there on that field, whether he does it here or he does it, somewhere else uh, he's got to get out there on that field 
and play some football. Otherwise, none of this is going to matter. Yeah, I, I can also look at the timing of it is in week number one here against Jacksonville, if you are handing it off to Evan Hall and Jake Funk, that's bad yeah. timing. <laughs> that's that bad. Is with, with due respect that to both of those fair. guys, that's some bad timing right there. Can I just say, look, I, I grant you, as I already said, so I've already agreed with you, uh, the the backup offensive line, the offensive line depth is not good. That being said, uh, I have not seen anything from these running backs that suggests to me they're going to be okay without Jonathan Taylor, okay? Can I just be – can we just be honest about that? Like, yeah. this group as a whole – not very good. No. I think. No. Not very good. Hey, Shane Steichen, was it after the game the other night when he said medically cleared? When he is medically cleared? Did Steichen have that quote? Was that – did I, I hear that accurately? I believe that's right. Or he, he has been saying that once he's it, cleared by the medical staff. Okay. He said, he said a version of that before. I, yeah. So, does this – where are you with it? Because all along – and I don't know if this makes me conspiracy theory guy or not, but all along I have felt this is just a motivational move uh, to make sure you get paid and you're not playing um, from – from the Taylor side of things here, meaning I think it's more of a hold-in situation than it is anything else. Is that the side that you buy, or does that, you know, needing medical clearance, does that maybe take you down a different path here? It's The problem is the guy who can answer that hasn't talked, and that's Jonathan. So we're left to kind of, you know, read the tea leaves and – and body language or, you know, read between lines. And that's just so hard to do. All I can tell you is that I, I think that they have deferred to Jonathan to some degree here, to some degree, you know, when he says he, it doesn't feel right. And that's why he's gone off and got this treatment elsewhere and worked on that last week uh, before leaving again for the personal matter. Uh, so, you know, they've given him some latitude, and I assume that is their way of saying, okay, you know, we, we hear you and we'll allow you the space to, to get healthy you know, with whatever's going on. But I, the, the problem is we don't have enough information to really make that assessment because all we know is that he had an ankle surgery back in January. We thought that would have been healed by now. Uh, is there something more going on, as has been hinted? I don't think we have gotten full clarity on that. So it's just impossible to know. I think right now we're, we are working with incomplete information. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. That's the problem. No, okay. When's, um, when do you think is the last possible day that something can get done before everything start of the season wise is compromised with Jonathan Taylor in mind here? When's the, when's the day? Well, uh, this week I think is kind of inconsequential. They're going to have that one practice. They're going to have the game on Thursday. There's not much going on, right? So so he's not a factor this week, Jonathan Taylor. Even if he were to wake up tomorrow morning and feel great, magically be ready to come off of the pup list, well, they're not going to stick him in there and him be the starting running back the first day out of the, out of the gate, right? So I think this week we can just basically turn the page on this week. So that puts us back to, I, I presume, next Monday when they reconvene after the weekend, I, I guess they'd, they'd get a little time off. Sunday or Monday, they'll reconvene, 
And, and then you start making like legit game plans. Now you're talking about legitimately, here's what we're doing against Jacksonville, right? That's a critical time. And so I just think for a running back who's going to take hits, it's not like any other position. It's not like most other positions. It's a physical position. Um, he's got pass protection requ- requirements that are, that are critical that he's got to know. Uh, he is in the meetings, don't get me wrong, but, but I just think the reps really matter, even for a veteran guy. They matter. So at that point, you're talking about two weeks of work after not practicing with your team since last December. I think he needs it. I really think Jonathan Taylor needs to be out there. Now, whether they get, the, whether they get things settled from a contractual point of view, I, I don't know. I don't know that there's any reason to feel optimistic that's going to happen. Um, I, I think the Colts are hoping Jonathan Taylor comes around and he says, all right, well, I got to do what I got to do because I got $4 million at stake. Yeah. That's where we are. <laughs> that is where we that's are. What it looks like, you know, that's yeah. what it looks like. Yeah. I, now, the only thing I'd say is, you know, if – if Jonathan Taylor continues at that point, if he continues to to push back, and and he still feels the same way, and and is not necessarily you know willing to to get out there or whatever the case might be, maybe at that point, you know maybe the Colts start feeling some heat at that point. But I, I don't know. I think up until now, they have, from my vantage point, they have been. You know, just kind of waiting. The thinking time was on their side. Do, you know, and, and yeah. both parties really. Do, do the Colts wish deep down inside that Taylor were to have to answer some of these questions and not them? <laughs> well, it would take the heat off of them. That's for sure. They, they'd rather Jonathan Taylor talk about it than Jim Mercy. I can tell you that. So <laughs> that I know. He, he did but, a good job in like a long-winded way of not saying anything more inflammatory. <laughs> so you could tell. Credit. Yeah. His credit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I listen. We were sitting there in the press box <laughs> with the broadcast turned on and tape recorders going. Trust me, okay? Because we knew it would come up. And the funny thing about it is, I, I don't even think that Jim Mercy was asked specifically about Jonathan Taylor. He just went there. And like you said, to his credit, he didn't necessarily make a mess of it. And I guess, you know, maybe that was surprising, but, but he didn't. It's uh, Stephen Older of ESPN.com. There we go. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, so a uh, quick trip to Philly here, I guess, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm actually, I'm, I'm bailing on this one. So I'll be there for the rest of them, but not for this one. It, you know, it's a, it's one practice and, and a preseason game. Much, so, yeah. How much time yeah. do you think that uh, Richardson gets coming up here later on this week? In the game, I, I mean, I, I'd like to see a quarter. I think a quarter would make sense. You know, I, I, I think that that's what they did in game one. We saw uh, the other two first round quarterbacks play roughly a half, I believe, uh, last weekend or this past weekend. So. You know that would be on the high side. The, the, the issue for me is if you play, if you play Richardson for any length of time, he's got to play with the first offensive line. Don't put that guy out there with that second unit. Number one, it doesn't really help him, right? He's not going to play with those guys if you can help it. Number one, number two, it just exposes you a little more, especially if Philly plays some of their defensive guys. Because <laughs> let me tell you, <laughs> those guys are headhunters, man. So you don't want to mess with that. You know, I, I think. I think it, it makes sense to have him out there with the first unit. So, so the question then becomes, 
if he's going to play a quarter, a half, et cetera, are you willing to play those guys for that length of time? Well, that creates another question in itself, especially because a couple of those guys have already been banged up, right? So I, I don't know. There's a lot. Of, it, that's why the one thing I'd say is it's, it's more than just like, oh, well, Richardson should play. Well, it's not that simple. Talking about past Saturday night, it's not that simple. If he's out there, then Quentin Nelson's got to be out there. Then Ryan Kelly's got to be out there. Braden Smith, even though those guys have been banged up. So, so those are the, the subsequent questions that come along with playing the quarterback. So Stephen Holder, ESPN.com and the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Always a pleasure, man. Have a great week. We'll do it again. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. We know when and where game number one is for the Boilermaker football program because we can now sit here and say they start next week. And their first-year head coach up in West Lafayette joins us now via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Ryan Walters with us. Hey, Ryan, thank you for the time. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Let me tell you, it feels weird saying a week away. Next week, you guys are going to be putting it on and getting it done for real. That's. Uh, it seems like it's probably coming much quicker for you than it would be anybody else at this point, isn't it? Well, no. It actually, it seems like it's going slowly. Oh, really? We can't wait for game day. Turn it around. Here, man. So, yeah, we're, we're ready. We're chopping out the bit. Well, you know, it's funny, too, because I know you're a guy that you, you get things done meticulously um, from what people tell me up there and, you know, making sure you dot all those I's and cross all those T's. Um, what, what are the things that, that are really important to you in preparing a football team? And you're doing that as a head coach for the first time and, and really slowing things down, as it apparently has with you in preparation for that first game against Fresno State. Some of the most important things you prepare you and your team for in that process. Yeah, well, you know, because we've got such a mix of experienced players, but they're, they're not experienced playing with each other, um, you know, bringing in three new schemes, both offense, defense, and uh, special teams, you know, we've, we've really harped on situational football and, and really being meticulous and detailed about, you know, how we'll play the game and, and certain situations that'll uh, determine if you, you win or lose a game. So we've spent a lot of time just enhancing our football IQ and working on those things. How quickly did it uh, you get acclimated to you know getting ready to get that first game as a head coach? How quickly did you get your feet on the ground in West Lafayette once you got that gig? I mean, as soon as I got here, man, I went to work um, and you know try to assemble a staff, you know, keep together a uh, recruiting class that we'll see a lot of the, the true freshmen on the field this year. Um, and so you know, there was no time to to sit and and sort of take it all in, you know, I remember that first, really the first month and a half felt like one long day because uh, you were always, there's always something to do. It still is. Uh, but now we've got a, a facility full of people that are you know, high quality individuals um, on and off the field and uh, really, really happy with where we're at. Who'd you uh, lean on for your advice getting into this right now? And, and probably still do to a great degree, but uh, who's at the top of that list that you would call and say, all right, so this situation, this is my reaction. What do you think? Who's that person? Yeah, you know, I don't have any one person. You know, I've been blessed to be on a career path that has put me in, in touch with a lot of 
uh, great, great men, not only on the field, but off the field that have, have tremendously influenced my career. Um, so for different, different areas, I'll call different, different individuals. You know what I mean? It's uh, Ryan Walters, the head coach of the Boilermakers with us. Um, I was talking about this with a couple of different Boilermaker people leading up to, to this conversation. Um, Graham Harrell's a guy I've had on this show before when he was at USC. Mm-hmm. And uh, because obviously, you know, innovative, offensive mind, fast paced, offensive mind. How important was that get in getting him in to what you're doing in your number one offensively? How, is, how important was that to you to get somebody like that and somebody that has done what he has done so far? Uh, it was hugely important. I knew as a defensive guy and a, and a play caller um, that coming to a place like Purdue that has been known for high-powered offense, that it was going to be important for me to get an OC that would be able to attract quarterbacks and offensive skill players. And so um, hiring Graham was, was pivotal. Um, it allowed us to go to the transfer portal and get, in my opinion, the, the best uh, quarterback that was available in Hudson Card um, and has allowed us to, to surround him with, with weapons and um, tools to have a success offensively. So getting a guy like Graham was uh, was a home run for sure. How has Hudson Card looked to this point to you in preparations? Well, you guys will find out. I mean, it's, <laughs> I've been I've been uh, thoroughly impressed. Um, you know, I don't want to speak speak for him, but I, I can't wait to watch him go play. Yeah, it's um, it, it's funny too. That's stuff you have to think about in this this era of of really anything sports wise is, you know, the dynamic to where you can you know attract in the now and play well in the now, Ryan, but also attract for the future. And uh, there's so many different dynamics going on in your world. Yeah, there definitely is. You know, and I, I think because of. You know, my age, but also, you know, I know I'm young, but I've, I've been around the game a long time and I've been in this profession for a while. Um, I, I sort of use both of those experience and, and age to um, be able to adapt and adjust and, and thrive in the ever-changing landscape of college football. I'm assuming that it was at some point in your playing career where you said, you know what, I can, I can coach this game up at some point. When, when was that for you? When was that realization that this is what I wanted to do one of these days? You know, I think it was in, in college when I made the move from quarterback to safety and then really understood sort of defensively how it fits with offensive football. Um, and once that happened, like my, was, my mind was just blown in, in terms of being able to understand the ins and outs of the X's and O's and how they fit um, on both sides of the ball. And so once that sort of came easy. And so I'd say right around my junior year of college, I was like, man, I, I think I can do this coaching thing and, and do it at a high level. It always interests me to Ryan, positional moves, coming out of high school, and then you guys get a hold of them and you say, hey, you know what, maybe maybe you're better suited here. You know, you did that collegiately at Colorado. How often have you seen that over your career so far? Is that, is that something you have an eye for? Hey, you know what, this guy's really good here, but what if now we can put you here and make you even better? How often do you see that? Do you have a good eye for it? Yeah, I mean, you know, the programs I've been a part of haven't necessarily been like your your blue bloods, right? Like the your local sure. um, universities. And so you kind of got to cre- get creative with the recruiting process. And so I've had a, a ton of success with high school wide receivers that get moved to DB in college because they have a, a familiarity with the route tree. They got ball skills and how to track it while it's in the air. And so if they're tough enough to play on defense, now you got a guy that can not only get a, a pass breakup, but they can get interception and those change games. And so, uh, you know, look back on, on my career as a coach, you know, we had a couple guys that were offensive players in, in high school that, that moved to the defensive side. 
at Missouri that got drafted. You know, Kirby Joseph was a, a high school wideout as well when I was at Illinois. He's now starting for the Lions. Um, you know, Sidney Brown was a, a slot receiver and a, a safety in high school, and, you know, he, he might mess around and start as a rookie for the for the Eagles. And so, um, you know, we've recruited some guys here that were high school wideouts that are now playing DB that I think have a tremendous uh, career ahead of them. When you were a player, were you comfortable in that – that coaching conversation that you got regarding that too and is it most of the time these players when you talk to them about a positional change opportunity are they comfortable with it as well yeah i think as long as you're open and honest and transparent with why you're trying to make that move and and how it would benefit them long term in the game um, then they're open to the change and ultimately it's it's their decision right and so um, as long as you know you, you don't want to be forcing somebody to do something that they don't want to do but you know, if you present the picture and it makes sense, and, and usually, you know, it, it does make sense because you're not just moving guys to move guys, um, then if they can see specifically like a monetary value in making a move, they're they're open to it. So Ryan Walters, first-year head coach of the Boilermakers. They open up coming up a week from Saturday at home against Fresno State. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I want to get to Fresno State and your thoughts on them coming up in, in just a minute, too. Uh, you're a defensive guy. You're a defensive lean. Uh, do you have more of a, an eyeball focus, certainly defensively, than you do offensively? But now you're, you're the head coach. How much more is there a balance of both sides of the football for you now that you're a, a head football coach? Yeah, I mean, obviously my expertise is on the defensive side of the ball, so I'll spend most of my time there. Um, but I do think I can provide a different lens offensively and special teams-wise. Um, I just want to be prepared, you know, going into the game, knowing what our opponent is going to do. Um, you know, how many suggestions I'll make, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I'm, I feel like I've hired guys that are, are capable and, and can excel at their job, so i got to allow them to do their job um, in order to be the best head coach that I can be. You know, Devin Mockaby is from Southern Indiana. I'm from Southern Indiana, too. And there wasn't a lot of, of fanfare for him coming out of, of high school. And, you know, a year ago, he made it all happen. I mean, he really did. Played as, as well as you could, you know, considering the circumstances and the expectations they have. How does a guy like that that has, you know, really expanded everybody's thought on the level of play in which he can reach, how does he raise the bar on that? Yeah, you know, he's been tremendous. Um, you know, he obviously my first order of business as a head coach was to provide him a scholarship because of the the damage he did a year ago. And so to see him sort of mature in his role um, and really embrace his role and, and be confident in it has been fun to watch, you know, through winter workouts, through spring ball, fall, um, you know, summer workouts and now fall camp. Um, you know, we call him the mechanic because he, he does <laughs> – he loves um, – He's loves a drag racer. Cars. Yeah. Uh, specifically Mustangs, um, and when he walks in the building, it kind of looks like a mechanic. So <laughs> um, it's, it's fitting. Um, but you know, he, his knack for for seeing windows uh, that that it's seemingly aren't there, and being able to get through those and, and explode up the field and, and make people miss. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad he's on our team now, and I don't have to. I try to get guys to go tackle them. Yeah, it's funny, Ryan. You, you, as an ex-athlete, would certainly know that, too. Man, you always want that chip, right? That chip on your shoulder. And he had one that was massive because he performed at a high level. Yet, as you mentioned, that he did not have a scholarship. And you got to make sure, too, that the dude's always looking further down the road. And he seems like that that's his M.O. He's always looking for more. He always maintains that chip on the shoulder that got him to where he is right now. That can transition somebody into a really special player. 
Yeah, no doubt. You know, sky's the limit for him and, and what he will be able to do in his career while he's at Purdue. Um, and he definitely has a chip on his shoulder. You know, the thing I love most about Devin is uh, you you know what you're going to get every day. He's consistent, and, you know, he is consistently at, at full speed um, and, and maximum effort. Yeah, the uh, mechanic, the pride of Boonville High School down in southern Indiana. It's his uh, head coach, Ryan Walters, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I did dabble into your defense and your thoughts on that. What, what do you like about what you have seen so far from your group in West Lafayette? Yeah, I think we got the makers to be really good. You know, we're big up front. Uh, we've got great pass rushers. Uh, we got a, a middle linebacker that can go sideline to sideline. We got experienced safeties that have range, that are physical in the run game. Um, we went out and got corners that can cover, and, and that will show up in the run game as well. So um, we've got the makings. I think we've got the scheme, um, and we've got the attitude to go do something special and, and play good defense. All right, Fresno State. I mean, you're trying to hustle that thing up to have it get here quickly. Um, it'd be a week from Saturday. What do you think? Historically speaking, they're always pretty good year after year. That's one thing about them. Yeah, I mean, sure, they won 11 games a year ago, and obviously they've had a, a lot of production leave that place. But one thing I know about uh, Fresno and, and the pride they take that down there in the Valley is, is playing tough, playing physical, um, playing their brand of football. You know, they they don't shy away from competition. Uh, they, they thrive in games like these that are presented with opportunities to uh, do something special. And, and I got, you know, great – respect for uh, that coaching staff over there um you know they've been around and and, and done damage in, uh, in this profession at a high level for a long time um and so the thing that we got to do is we got to be able to embrace the unknowns you know it's the first game of the season um they'll have wrinkles they got new faces um that will um you know make up for some of the production that they lost a year ago but we just got to you know rest in our preparation um adhere to our rules from a schematic standpoint offensively defensively and special teams and ultimately be the most excited team in the stadium to go play. What um, is your field? Do you want it to get tested early? Do you, do you mind getting tested with a, a really good team as early as possible? Yeah, I mean, let's, let's go play football. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't like easing into a season or easing into a schedule. Let's hit the ground running and find out what we're made of and, um, and you know, whatever happens, move on and go to the next one. All right, well, go get it. It's great to have you on down here in Indy. If you don't mind, we'll reach out to you, get you back on here, see how things are going over the course of the season. But we'll try to go ahead and see if we can't speed up that clock a little bit too and get a week from Saturday Saturday here as uh, quickly as possible. I, I appreciate your time as always, and the best of luck this season, Ryan. Thanks, man. I look forward to it. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline from the star Nate Atkins joins us. Um, all right, help a brother out here. Amazon Prime, I have not previously signed up for that. Will I get something free out of it if I sign up for it? Because I believe that's the only place to watch the Colts, right, against the Eagles? Uh, it's a little hard for me to answer because the only way I'm going to watch them is by going in person. So, oh, well. Uh, well, I could do here. that. Well, I could do that. Uh, yes. 
no, no, no. Don't do that. Don't spend money to go watch them in person. Please don't do that. Look for it free. By all means, do not pay to go to preseason game. Yeah, no doubt. Got it. Uh... Got to zone in a little bit, though. There's uh, no question about it. I, so, how much are we going to see out of the rookie quarterback in Philly? What do you think? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, Shane Steichen made it sound like after uh, the last game against the Bears that they, we would see them uh, because, you know, obviously Anthony didn't play against the Bears. Uh, the reason being that he had two joint practices that week, this week. They just had the one joint practice, so I guess – uh, by the math that Shane's going by that's, you know, looking for two days of work. That'd be this Tuesday practice tomorrow and then uh, Thursday for the game. So that's my understanding of it, but I guess we may find out some more from him tomorrow. Yeah, hopefully so. That, that'd be nice, definitely, too. I, I, you wonder where they are, right, as far as, you know, getting acclimated. Were you one in the corner of needing to see anything from Richardson on Saturday, or were you okay with a decision they ended up making? Uh, I don't know that's the biggest deal at the end of the day. I, I thought he could have played, you know, a series or two. Certainly, you know, if they weren't going to announce that he was not going to play, I thought it was kind of a moment for them to introduce their new starting quarterback to the fan base, even though it is just a preseason game. But there was a good amount of people there. And to be honest with you, even though he got two days of practices against the Bears, the first day was, you know, he attempted like 19 passes. The second day, he only attempted six, and he completed two, and one was a swing pass to Deion Jackson. So I just didn't feel like he got very much out of the second game. Granted, they were wor- – or second practice. Granted, they were working a lot of run concepts then. But, I mean, the main thing they're trying to develop in him right now is – just the consistency of the mechanics, the drop-back passing. So I would like to see a little bit more from him than we got in that second practice. But I also understand that uh, they are trying to, you know, now that they named him the starter officially, he's now even more of an asset to them. And when you have two starting offensive linemen out with what we've seen from the second-team offensive line, I can understand why the coaching staff Maybe he wanted to play a little safe with him. So I think he could have gone either way with it. So do you think that maybe that decision was more on the old linemen that were going to be missing there is the fact that they went, you know, second team-wise as much as they did? Do you think that that was one of the big calls and one of the big reasons why? Because I would agree with you. You know, I, I could go even further, and I have so far today, about why you would put him out there for a series, you know, give him a couple of different reps there, and certainly tell the fans before you walk in there that he's not going to be participating. But you think it was more about the offensive line not being intact is maybe one of the reasons why they decided to pull the plug? on it it's hard to know for sure but i will say that the second that they had two offensive linemen out well ryan kelly missed both days but once wolf Ryan was out and it was two linemen down uh it just felt like a dramatic shift from how they called the practice for him in the first session versus the second one with the second one like i said six attempts granted it was really nine attempts three were called back on penalty but very very short dropbacks very safe passes, a lot of run plays. It, it looked like a team that didn't want to expose its quarterback to risk. So it's hard to know. That's the type of thing where if that was the reason, obviously the coaching staff isn't going to come out and say, we don't like our, our the lineman that we're playing with. So we're, we're left to kind of guess here. But 
I have to imagine that played into it because it ultimately came down to this idea of uh, the wear and tear on the players, which you understand for some of the other starters, those practices were physical, especially on the lines. For a quarterback in a non-contact jersey, they weren't. It's just more the risk that you're going to put him out there in uh, in that second game. And so I, I have to imagine that was at least a factor. So Nate Atkins of the Star covers the Colts. He'll be in Philly. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Who has the best opportunity in your eyes to take the place of Ashton Doolin on this team? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I feel like they it's, it might start to go the way of the guys they signed recently. James Washington it just showed up a few days ago and had the big catch uh, against the Bears uh, the other night. Uh, you know, Brashad Perriman, another guy that they signed who is two of these players who have a very limited sort of skill set as far as what they've put out there for the league. But but it's a good skill. That's getting down. Very obvious on the perimeter, at least, I would say, kind of the Z position. You've got Michael Pittman at the X, and so he's – you know, he caught 99 passes a year ago. I think he's going to be still plenty, plenty of a volume receiver. But the spot where Alec Pierce is in and then guys that they bring in on the outside behind him, I think are very much going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, nine routes, posts, down the field routes, off play action, where they hope that the idea being Anthony Richardson, his mobility and the threat of that pulls that extra safety down into the box so that you have a single safety in the middle of the field leaving uh, the space out there between the numbers and the, and the sidelines for guys who can really hit it at high velocity. And so that's Alex Pierce. And then right now, skill set-wise, that's James Washington and Rashad Perriman. And it was Ashton Doolin, too, before he went down. So I have to think that if you rate the kind of moves that they've made since they brought in Shane Sykin, the type of receivers they've added, it's been those guys that really excel going deep down the field. And that's... I think it's it's kind of a toss-up between those two where uh, both both fairly established, but both have had their injury histories too. So kind of who can stay healthy and produce the most this uh, preseason may win out and get that final one. And then obviously Mike Strawn is in that too. He's He's been a little bit more of a sort of, I don't want to say possession receiver, but like a contested catch guy in moments. I mean, he can, he can get down the field, but not maybe quite as, he hasn't produced and proven it the way those other two have. So, Kind of, I I kind of look at it as a three-man competition right there. Uh, What's the latest on the health of Shaquille Leonard presently, Nate? Shaquille Leonard is currently in the concussion protocol. We found that out after the game against the Bears. Uh, Apparently, he he suffered a brain injury against the the Bears in the Wednesday practice and missed uh, missed the next one. And so, uh, so really, we have to wait till he crosses through that. I know the first. One of the early, it's a five-step process, and so one of the very early stages is uh, just being able to be back around the team in team settings. And he wasn't out there, uh, you know, at the game or in the locker room. So that meant at that stage on Saturday night, he was still pretty early in that process. And I would emphasize this is his third time going through this protocol. So um, it could get harder. It's all unpredictable. Everyone's a little different. No doubt. But that's, that's certainly where it's at. As, as far as we know, it's not – it's not related to the back or the ankle or any of that. It's just a concussion protocol deal, and um, and those time frames they they just always you know, did, vary. Did you happen to see the play in which that occurred? 
I'm not sure which play that occurred on. Yeah, I didn't either. So I just cursed. Uh, Nate Atkins of the Star with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. If you're looking at this team as a whole right now, and maybe some of these non-recognizable roster names to this point, maybe a couple that you have seen that you believe have made strides to make this thing interesting here down the stretch before cutdown. Uh, yeah, I mean, we just talked about one. I think James Washington, I never saw him kind of jumping into this thing. Uh, but right now, that mix of his skill set and what he's proven in the league and then what they don't have an Ashton doing, I feel like he's an easy answer. Uh, I feel like another guy I just did not really know him much about at all was Arlington Hambright, who has been their second-team tackle, who's also been their second-team guard when they needed to go there. Uh, teams love versatility on the line, especially in the backup spots, so you don't have to carry too many on game day. And really, when you know when they went to the second-team line, that was against Buffalo, so that second-team line got a lot of heat, and deservedly so. They did not play well. But the guy I thought that played the best was Arlington Hambright. Now, that wasn't quite I don't know that he was quite as strong moving inside uh, against the Bears, but again, it's it's being able to do enough of a couple different things on the backup line that uh, that can kind of give you a chance. So, uh, so those guys those guys are kind of jumping out to me. I'm I'm trying to think on, on defense that hasn't. You know, I would have said Jannard Avery. Unfortunately, they just lost him. He was really set up, I thought, to be uh, that backup Leo spot behind Samson Ebukam, and then in his absence. Uh, Titus Leo, the the rookie uh, they drafted in the seventh round, he stepped in against the Bears, and he he had, a, he had a nice game. It was the first time I'd really seen him kind of assert himself in that setting. So uh, that's a guy that I thought, you know, they, they drafted 12 rookies, and if they want to keep them all, they can. But, it's you know, it's the guys are going to have to earn their way uh, with that many rookies trying to earn spots. But I that, that was certainly a step forward, especially – uh, with Jannard Avery going down, they need a backup Leo. Uh, that Leo spot really is what makes the Gus Bradley defense go. It's the idea that uh, this that one pass rusher can can run as if it's third and ten every single snap, and you sort of insulate him around you know with with these big run stuffers and other run centric players. So you've got Zaire Franklin, Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner, uh, and Quiddy Pay. Those are those are guys you trust in the run game. So you need just high level athletes in the Leo spot. And, uh, Titus Leo, uh, you know, he's, he's had such a fascinating career playing a few different positions on defense, but but really starting to finally for once lock into actually being a Leo like his name suggests. And I thought uh, he, he finally flashed against the Bears, and it, it's an important role to have, uh, especially if anything were to happen to Samson Evacom. And even if it doesn't, uh, you know, Quiddy Pay has slimmed down a little bit. He's dropped to about 264. So he can certainly do some of the wide nine stuff, but I still think in an ideal world, you want to keep him starting uh, you know, on the side of the tight end and, and bring in some kind of pure athlete to run that Leo spot. So uh, I think Titus Leo has a chance there. Hey, Nate, we were talking about Ashton Doolin a little bit earlier, and I put it early on the show in terms of last year when – they lose Sanchez, and people say, well, it's just a punter. Replace the punter. And we talked about this right here, saying, hey, he was somebody that was a constant. You could count on him. You didn't have to worry about him. That's a big deal. And then punting-wise, oftentimes you did end up worrying about that a year ago. And Ashton Doolin is the same way. And we talk about it in terms of a backup wide receiver because that is something that, that gets more press. But being a special teams ace – 
on this squad. You don't know what you got until it's gone, and that's my concern with that group once the regular season is underway. You agree? Yeah, I do, because, you know, it's. I, I don't know that we've talked enough about the loss of Bubba Ventrone uh, for the special team. No team question team about team. it. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, he's he's done it so long here, and every year they've just found ways to – uh, to really be a great directional punt team outside of last year. Obviously, they did not have Rigoberto Sanchez. But the key, it's the mix between Sanchez's ability to really uh, pin the ball and then guys like Ashton Doolin being able to beat the press so quickly and fly down the field. And so they've got talent on the special, you know, at least in the kick game for sure. They went out and signed Matt Gay, and uh, they bring Rigoberto Sanchez back. But there is just enough change happening with, a new special teams coordinator, then you lose your top gunner. And it's like for a team that, that has been so good at directional punting, now you're trying to kind of bring younger players along with a new coordinator. Uh, so that'll be interesting. I mean, Brian Mason, you know, he, he hasn't coached the NFL yet. So it's a little bit of a wild card. He comes from Notre Dame where they did a, a phenomenal job, you know, getting after punts and blocking kicks and punts. But I think the area where they, it's just bound to be a drop-off because Bubba's group was so good at it was was that punting game. And so you just there's just enough sort of uncertainty between a punter coming back off an Achilles tear, losing the top gunner, losing the special teams coordinator. It's a pretty in-the-weed subject, but someone's going to have to step up there. Although I will say I was impressed uh, in a few snaps for Jalen Jones, the uh, seventh-round quarterback they drafted out of Texas A&M, who's really had a nice – uh, Trinity camp. I should have mentioned him in one of the surprise players because I've liked how he's played at corner. But I noticed him on Saturday taking one of those gunner spots and really doing a nice job. He's he's a phenomenal athlete, former five-star recruit out of high school, uh, who's physical too. So we'll see. It was just it was just one flash. It's new to him. You can't expect any rookie to just step in and do the things Ashton Doolin did because he's an all-pro just a couple years ago and a very established player at it. But that would be the guy I would look to to try and somewhat fill the void. Yeah, that's just a, so problematic. Such a bummer right there, too. And, it's, again, something maybe people don't recognize as much as other positions. That being said, it will have a, a level of importance and an effect on this group, um, certainly, as well. Um, any expected movement? And I asked Stephen Holder this a little bit earlier, and I'll ask you the same thing. As far as Jonathan Taylor is concerned, when, when is there the, the falling-off-the-cliff type of moment before – the start of the regular season to where, I mean, everything is really compromised here. When does when, when there need to be, if there is going to be playing on this team moving forward here this season for Jonathan Taylor, when does there need to be a, a solution of sorts made? Well, I think the clock's going to really start ticking as soon as we get right near September 10th, which is the opener. And that's just because, at that point, there is something actually on the line. Not only, you know, not only games accrued for Jonathan and, and all of that, but really just what it starts to mean to the locker room to not have uh, one of the best players on the team out there. You know, so far they've been able to massage it enough as you know being related to the injury and just being precautious. And you know, Jonathan's back with the team. He's he's Jane Second said yesterday he's going to be here in Philadelphia. I'll be surprised if he practices just. The idea that he's going to, if he does come back, the first practice back being a joint practice, I don't see happening. So there's been enough moments like that where they could say, you know, it's not the time, it's not the time. When you get into the regular season and all of a sudden 
you know, there are games on the line. There's games to win. And this is a team that for years has started slow and tried to find ways to correct that. And, you know, they, they're going to want to start the best way they can right now. And especially now that they've named Anthony Richardson the starter, they know it's, they know there's going to be a sort of learning curve to that, bringing him out here as a 21-year-old. The whole idea is, you know, get him reps, get him experience, live with some of the growing pains. But within that, you want to be able to support him the best way you can. And you, you, ideally what you would like to do is start him off with a somewhat easier job. And then throughout the year, maybe in the second half of the year, maybe, you know, you can build on some things in the pass game and have him come along. If you don't have Jonathan Taylor at the start of that, though, it's like the reverse of it where it, I think between Jonathan Taylor not being out there and, and any risk of injury along the offensive line, there's a world where this it's really heavy on the rookie really, really quickly. So it's just going to kind of depend on how it quite plays out. You know, if they were to go out there and win week one, if it's just a matter of they say he's just not quite ready, but they go out and they play well anyway, you know, people will kind of gloss over it. But soon enough here, teammates are going to start really wondering. And, and I mean, and, and for good reason, we're wondering the same way how, you know, an ankle injury from last season that he had surgery on in January could be so, you know, so severe that he's not able to play come the regular season. That's where it starts to get very, uh, very clear that there's – or likely – that there's more going on than just an ankle injury when you also know he wants to be traded. And, you know, so that gets to the point where at what point do they, as the Colts come out and say, you know what, Jonathan, we, we need to see you out there. And, you know, they floated the idea of uh, to, to Stephen Holder and, and Mike Chappell about putting him on the non-football injury list. That doesn't sound, we haven't heard anything about that in weeks. So I don't assume, I, I don't think they even can at this point. You can't, it's hard to go back in time and say, you know, he had this injury non-football before, training camp that we're going to try and put him on the list for that. I don't think they can do that, but it was a little window into the idea that at some point they may have to say, you know what, it's time to get practicing. It's time to get playing. And that's, that's where it could start to get hairy. And that's where certainly if he's either, (laughs) this is where they really need some kind of resolution, just some kind of either timeline for a negotiation or adjustment to the contract or something, because, what you really don't want is a situation where a team saying you need to get out there and practice, a player saying I'm not healthy or they're risking my health, and then you're letting teammates decide which which one of those two they want to agree with. Well, they have a first-year head coach and a rookie quarterback trying to win them all together to start a season. So uh, I don't know what the – what the moment is where it gets really chaotic, but I, I don't think we're that far from it. When uh, I think it was Shane Steichen, right, that said they're waiting on him to be medically cleared. Is that correct? Yeah, that's he stood on that, or he said, "Yeah." What, 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 what do you think? What do you think? That's I mean, who 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 needs to clear him medically? Because I've said this all along. I could be wrong, and I and I guess I will be, and I'll have to answer to it at some point if I am wrong. But I, I view this more of a a hold in than anything else. But why, why is the term medically cleared being used here? There's got to be some reason behind it, I guess. Uh, if, if it's not medical, as some of us think it isn't. Well, so Jonathan showed up the first day, the day, the day he went on the PUP list. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the day he took his physical. And the way these go, though, is the team can pass or fail a physical kind of however it wants. The, those physicals are up to what the team decides the player's capable of doing. And, you know, it doesn't always go with 
sometimes those two sides don't always agree. That's sometimes where you see a, a player will go get a second opinion when they don't like what the team doctor had to say. Uh, but it does show you that the team is so far going along with this. They, they've been the ones consistently saying, uh, you know, he's not medically cleared. They put him on the uh, PUP list for the ankle related to last season, not any new injury. So they've, they've been able to stand with him saying he's not healthy for this. Whether that's, you know, how much that's because he's not healthy, how much that's just recognizing the, the difficulties of a, the contract demands and trade demands and not wanting to push this into a nuclear spot by making him practice. I don't know. That's where I think the with the games come are going to be more of the real test because right now they can at least, wherever the Colts stand on this, they can at least kind of see, you know, if they're going to hold Anthony Richardson out of a preseason game for risk, you can see why they may not fight, you know, holding their start running back out of training camp, out of the physical wear and tear there and the risk there. Uh, but at some point they need him, obviously. So uh, that's why, you know, th- there is enough going on with the ankle to where he, he is on that PUP list. Uh, you know, he's been going out elsewhere to rehab at times, but um, <laughs> that's also it, it's also an easy way to say, you know, that's what's going on, and it's not uglier than that when it, for all we know, it could be. How do you think this has all been handled so far? Both sides. Uh, not the best. You know, it's... Uh, you know, Chris Ballard came out the first day we talked and said, you know, I don't talk about contracts, that's closed-door stuff. And then just a couple of days later, it stopped being closed-door stuff because, you know, the owner wanted to tweet about the CBA. And I understand Jim Irsay has come back and said, you know, he was talking generally about, you know, sort of the future. Of yeah, the it, was, it was more about the Steelers guy that people were referencing he was talking about. But, yeah, that doesn't matter right. because that's going to land on your shoulders. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, right. And there's two things here. Number one, Jonathan in a year from now is eligible for that franchise tag. So to act like that's not at all in the consideration, uh, I just don't know how anyone's going to believe that. And second of all, even if it's not, even if we gave him the most generous interpretation, like he has a running back that wants a new contract, and his agent clearly thought it was about him. So his agent came back and said, you know, responded to his comment about bad faith. And that's where I don't, you know, that's that's where you could add some blame on their side too. Is that is it the smartest thing for the agent of a player asking an owner to pay his player to then tweet at the owner on social media and call him out and say, you know, the relationship's broken? That's not really a way to get them to do what you want them to do either. Uh, you know, and then Chris Ballard's been kind of caught, and Shane Steichen have been kind of caught in the crosshairs of that, where they wanted this to just be sort of a private situation and focus on. Uh, you know, the guys who can be out there right now, but it's becoming such a situation where they have to deal with it or they have to deal with the awkwardness of him not being out there. And I don't know that that's been the best either. You know, Chris Fowler has chosen not to talk outside of one interview with uh, Sirius XM where he kind of said that Jonathan needs to get healthy. Shane Steichen has been very uncomfortable talking about it, but has gone from saying he won't talk about it at all to then he had to talk about it because, Jonathan all of a sudden wasn't at the facility anymore, and they did not know he was not going to be at the facility anymore. So, like, you have all these people in these important positions who are just kind of trying to read each other and not knowing how the other one's going to react. And at the end of the day, it's just that they're so far apart on what they think the other should do. You know, Jonathan obviously wants that contract. He doesn't want to get out there 
really the crux of it is that he doesn't want to get out there until he has some security coming his way. The culture saying we don't want to pay that security until we can see you out there and know that you're back and healthy. And I just, it's hard to figure out what the compromise is, which is why so far there's been no compromise and they're not on the same page at all. Yeah. It just, it seems I've said this all along. The word I use is silly. This is all really silly to me. So where we are anyway, We'll see what happens in the days, if not weeks, to come. Nate Atkins with us from the Indianapolis Star via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Safe travels to Philly. Enjoy the practices and the game, and uh, we'll catch up with you sometime afterwards, man. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Hope you can uh, find some stream to watch the game. Yeah, I know it. I'm telling you. All that stuff's tough for me, man. It's way too much to fill out. I don't like filling out stuff. Lengthy. So, appreciate you, Nate. Thank you very much. Nate Atkins of the Star and the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Jay Quarry's hang. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. In here for a minute because I want to ask him how day number one of the midday show went. Well done. We'll bring Jake on the air right here, the midday show, 12 until 3. It made his debut a little bit earlier today at noon that everybody had enjoyed. Now, among the greatest preseason players of all time in this indie market, where does Sam Ellinger rank? He's got to be Boy, right up there. Drew Haddad is the, that's the face of it, right? Yeah, it should be. Pretty much right there. Um, who was the guy? Was it PJ Walker a couple of years ago that like was a late? It was like, oh man, he's going to make the roster. Caesar Rayford was a guy. If Caesar you remember, Rayford, they he traded was him, like, right? Yeah, he was going to be like one of the great sack artists uh, of I mean, modern day history. So far, Gardner Minshew is like, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's he's getting after it, right? Well, Ellinger just goes out there and makes stuff happen in the preseason, and that's that. There By the way, go. I think it's an eastern racer snake that's in your backyard. Is it? Yeah. It says they can move up to four miles an hour. He's a good friend. He gets the varmints. He just watched me well, mow. I mean, yeah. It says they're found throughout Indiana and prefer dry ground like open fields, meadows, and prairies. They it's come out during snake. the day. Does he come mm-hmm. out during the day? Yeah. You feel? Yeah. Have you named him? Mm-hmm. Oh, I have not yet, no. Did he? Is he afraid of you? Oh, yeah. I don't think he digs me. I think he's more afraid of the lawnmower. And so you let him be, though. Yeah, I don't mess with him. Yeah. And where does he live exactly? Does he have like all, I mean, do you. I bet you it's somewhere in my backyard. Maybe under the outbuilding. I mean, that maybe under the deck. That, that is a big snake. He is big. He is a big dude. Okay. He is a big dude. It doesn't dude. bother you. Does not bother me whatsoever. I just don't want to hurt him. I don't want to run over him or anything like that. You haven't so. named him? Haven't named him yet. You guys got a good name for him? He is. He, what do you think that is? Like four feet long, maybe? I mean, he, he's yeah. big. If he stretched him out? Yeah, he's a that's a big snake. You see him trying to stuff himself down in that. (laughs) (laughs) I saw you. You you took pictures. Looks like me back when I was seven trying to get in my husky jeans, trying him on at Sears right there. If you're just joining, John just got in here and was mowing his lawn and took a picture and sent it on Twitter of a a snake peering out while you were mowing. He was mowing. He was watching me. Yeah, checking. And that's the first time you've seen him. Uh, no, he's that third year. He's been there for three years. Oh, really? Yeah, he lives He's there. He's got squatters rights yeah, there, right? he does. Does he have a family or neighbors or anything? Parties? Know. I don't know. Yeah, I just okay. hope nobody gets at him, though, because he's, uh, he's a kind old fella. And he <laughs> okay. takes care of some moles and Fair enough. field mice and other stuff. Hey, how was day number one? Uh, it was good. Thank you. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly 
different. Like it's just a different. I think the hardest thing for me, John, was last night we went to Big Head Todd and Blues Travel right. over at Rock the Ruins. John and, Popper shout out. That's right, and, and it took. All day yesterday, my my mind, you know, just psychologically, I'm like, oh man, I got to get up in yeah. you know, x number of hours, and then, you know, obviously I didn't have to, um, and so to come in and, and listen, I know and I'm aware of the fact I've never worked with Jimmy before. I made the joke that we'd never met before. Obviously, we have, um, but you know, Jimmy and Eddie, who, who I've known and respected a great deal for the hard work they do, but I've never worked with either really, so that always takes a little bit of getting used to. Um, for me, not for them, probably for them as well. Um, but, you know, you, you feel your way through that, but it was fun. I mean, I, I, you know, I told Jimmy yesterday when we were just planning on what we're going to do, and he's like, you know, wh- what do you think we need? And I'm like, well, the key is here. Let's just have fun. If we're going to have fun, listeners are going to have fun. And so that's what I wanted to do today, and hopefully we did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll let uh, everybody on Twitter let me know. Uh, everybody seems to be digging it right now. And uh, we knew that they certainly would, but no. Well done on day number one. I was trying to think about a variety of things here, too. I'm going to get to my Colts takes from Saturday. Uh, we'll dive into that in a second, too. But I was watching a Winning Time, and it's uh, about Jeff Perlman's book regarding the Lakers. Right. And this is not a Laker take. But last night's episode involved Larry Bird. And there was a scene in it where Larry Bird, Bill Hodges, the then assistant coach at Indiana State, brought Larry Bird from French Lick to Terre Haute to play in, in pick games against his guys and this had it as larry playing in jeans and work boots and lighting everybody up with 40 plus <laughs> it's probably accurate, and this guy right? was actually out there playing in in jeans and work boots and was was lighting everybody up and i was asking some folks over there if that was true i i have heard i guess variations of that story um, maybe the jeans part, the work boots thing was a little bit new for me. Have you ever heard that story about not that first that workout at Indiana State when he lit everybody up in jeans? No, I know that um, Robin Miller, you know, our mutual friend, Robin has always told me about the time, John, when when Larry first got to Indiana State. Yeah. And the SID wrote to Robin and said, you got to come see this guy play. And Robin's like, it's Indiana State, man. I mean, you know, I got other yeah. things going on. So Robin finally said, I'll tell you what, I'll come to a game and like if he gets 40 and 10, I'll come back to a second one. And he went for like 45 and 19 boards or something. Robin's like, oh my gosh. I mean, that, you know, it is amazing with a guy like that. And sure, he started at IU, but you kind of wonder when it all came together for him because how did a guy like that, and nothing against Indiana State, but I'm saying, I mean, the circuitous route just to get there. How did that slip to the cracks three times? Yeah, he goes to he goes to IU. Didn't like it. Basically, hitchhike back is the legend. Uh, Worked on a trash truck in French Lick. You know, he played. It's it's interesting at the hotel down there. He played a lot of the staff workers in pickup games down there. And he, but it was interesting last night that that was that was the emphasis in this episode of Winning Time on HBO. It was pretty cool. You know the Kent Benson story with Bird. You know Bird got to indiana jim yep. wisman was his roommate bird goes for the first workout and everybody they're playing pickup ball and he goes in and starts taking some shots and ken benson's like what are you doing freshman you're not allowed to, you know you rookie freshman mm. young guy totally talked down to him and so bird's like okay so he leaves and you have to wonder now can you imagine in 75 when scott may breaks his arm and they go against kentucky oh, and man. dayton yeah Oh, Scott Mason, let's put in Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah, makes, I mean, makes you wonder. Yeah. Speaking of wonder, uh, what was your take 
on not playing Anthony Richardson because I've got two parts to mine, and I'll get to the emphasis of that coming up, at least with me a little bit later on. But what did you start in thinking whether or not he should have played in that game Saturday? I wasn't as bothered by it as others, strictly because I think in reality – what you are trying to do for Anthony Richardson is the long-term vision of what you think is best for him. And if they felt like because of the fact that there were not going to be a lot of guys that he's going to be playing with in the regular season anyway or whatever else, and it was maybe they thought it was best for him to just sit and watch Gardner Minshew and see what Minshew does and reads and, and, and things like that. So in that regard, I didn't have as big a problem with it. I, I'm under the assumption that they know him best and know how he's going to react to circumstances best and – yeah, it might not have helped them with winning games for this year, but this year is all about him winning games three years from now. So that was my take. Well, and that, that's that's fine. That part is to me. Now, do I think he needs reps? Absolutely. But your take is fine. The problem I had is you could have let everybody know that he wasn't playing. Could have let everybody know. They let that thing hang out there until everybody got in, and then he was warming up. He was in uniform and all that. And and I think that's lame. I think that part is lame. I, I don't. I, I think that does a disservice to them when they do that. From the past five years of maybe not being as transparent to try right. to be more transparent, and it's almost like, hey, come on out. This guy may play. May oh, he's not going to play. I'm not suggesting that's why everybody was there, but everybody that I talked to in Touchdown Town was excited about getting to see maybe a series or a couple of plays, and they knew that he wasn't going to play. They knew that, so you could tell everybody that. I guess the question, John, is completely open. What would, what is their benefit? uh, Good question. uh, Of of being non-transparent, because the tickets have already been sold, right? And that's a great. I mean, there's not walk up. What is their benefit other than it being negative? And other than me talking about this right here, do I think it's the biggest of deals? No, but it was a fumble. Okay, I mean that was a fumble. Uh, Now let me let me. Put on a tinfoil hat here, right? Please do. Comes with the territory of the New Day part. Um, Is it possible that the Colts part of, I'm not saying entirely, this isn't why they held him out, but is it possible that they were non-transparent about it because they knew that becomes the storyline and now no one's talking about the fact that their franchise running back is unhappy? Uh, I don't think it had anything to do with that. I just I, mean, think, I don't. Yeah, I'm, I, I just I think it's the normal type of NFL organizational games, games yeah, you get. The, the, yeah, and in that case, it was completely unnecessary. I mean, it is funny that every it just NFL, gives people a reason to complain. Every NFL team acts like every single thing they do is the most top. Secret there is FBI no thing doubt ever. about that. Yeah. No I doubt about that. that. It went. Listen, and you were here when it was at its height. There was nobody that was more controlling on any message whatsoever than when Bill Polian was here. I mean, everyone. Oh. Didn't matter. I mean, from somebody... If you we like will voice, not move forward. <laughs> we will not move forward. From a voicemail message to anything. I just thought, man... That's what I described it. I was with Tony Katz this morning. I said, I just thought it was lame. I thought that was lame. Just go ahead and tell everybody beforehand, and maybe everybody still goes. I mean, it was a beautiful evening. The roof, the window was open. You had all these spectacular pictures everybody was taking in there. It's like everybody had a really good time. That's fantastic. And then, you know, you give people reason to question some of your motives here, and they don't need that. Who had the greatest crossover dribble in NBA history? Allen Iverson. That's Payette, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think by that time they were carrying the ball. I mean, you're talking about non-carrying the basketball no, division? No, Iverson's a good one. So we'll have to call this segment the Iverson because it's the crossover, yeah. right? 
I mean, there, there was a point in time when, you know, you couldn't carry it with you like they do now. And, you know, if you had a crossover back then, what, Norm Nixon, I mean, Nate I guess, Archibald? I guess if you've got a crossover that froze Michael Jordan in order to hit a jumper from 18 feet, <laughs> you probably <laughs> have a pretty good one, which probably, is what Iverson did. Probably right? pretty good right That's there. Right. I would start with the crossover, the AI. All right, I know you got to run here. What you guys got coming up tomorrow? Uh, actually, tomorrow, serendipitously, Friday night, I ran into Jeff George, and he was like, hey, man, I, I'll tell you what, I got some my thoughts on the way Anthony Richardson in the, in, mm-hmm. as a young player versus Jeff George going through it with Dickerson holding out, and he was like, man, I think there's a lot I learned that, that he could learn. I said, well, why don't you come on and talk about it? So he's going to do that tomorrow. If he had that and- to do all over again, what what would have happened? I think if Jeff had to do it over again, the number one thing would be and I, this is hard because I think he's a loyal guy, but I think he would prefer to not have been drafted in his hometown just because as he's told me, I mean, like all his high, you know, he was 20 years old, 21 years old, all his high school buddies are here. Yep. Um, and so I think the, the the maturity thing is one thing that he'd like to have as a do-over. Um, but I also think that, you know, there was just so much turmoil back then with, between Bob Ursay and and the, the roster changeover, and you know there was a lot going on for yeah. certain. But I think he would be the first to tell you that the way he handled that and the the lack of focus that he had in the outset of it, of just with a head on a swivel of everything going on, it probably would have been better for him to have started in Atlanta or in Oakland as opposed to in here. What's funny, what you first mentioned, you get any of these guys that come from here and then come back and play, and they say the most difficult thing to do is to play here. Yeah, and to play in your hometown like this sure. because I mean you just got action coming at you twenty four seven three six five. You got to try to you got to try to justify it and then categorize it to make sure it doesn't take you away from your game. Region Brian's mad at me that um, that I'm having on Jeff George and because he got on me. Who from, is this Region? Oh, that's that guy. He's um, a truck driver, right? Yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, um, yeah. And he, was, I was, he got at me back in the uh, well. I was flattered time. that no matter where I go, he seems to be listening, which is awesome. Yeah, he's a buttwad, really. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> you said that I did. Hello, Buttwad, and then who cares? But, you said that I did. But Jeff George is coming up tomorrow. That's correct. Well Twelve thirty tomorrow. Yep. Well done with Jeff George right there. Hey, great first day from you. Thank you. Appreciate it. That is Jake Query right there, everybody. Query and Company, noon until three.